Brent. I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. I don't I don't know what to say anymore. No. Every time, every time I I think ahead of what we're talking about and I try to make a nice introduction and a nice segue, you never come along with me. You you, ne- you never just stay on the rails. I just turn it into a big train wreck. And that's what we're here to talk about, (laughs) folks. Got a couple train wrecks for you today. Darling, take it away! This is going to be an episode that's just a train wreck. Let's be honest. You can't use the same joke twice in consecutive sentences. Well, I just train wrecked the joke. That's not even... (laughs) It's not even the usage. No, but it's making you frustrated and it's funny. Okay. <laughs> what train wreck in particular? Moki, high five. Stop getting high yeah. fives from the dog and answer my question. Moki, high five. Did I make a funny joke? High five. Yeah, she thinks I'm funny. So, we, we are going to uh, talk about a couple train wrecks mm-hmm. in this episode. Um, this episode might actually become like a two-parter. Okay. There's a third train wreck I really wanted to talk about, but I realized it was just too much. <laughs> so be on the lookout for part two. You know how eventually. it is when, when you're stopped at a train crossing and it just keeps going and going and going. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's just too much. It's just too much. Whoa. As our little goddaughter said today. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, Mr. Camel. They're just too big. They're just too big. So we're going to first talk about uh, the great train wreck of 1918. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's a fun fact. 1918 was a really bad year for trains. Was it? Or was it just a year where there were 10 million trains running at any given time? I'm going to go with really bad year for trains. And just the law of large numbers says that some of them are going to kill a lot of people. Mm, Really bad year for trains. Okay, Okay, okay. This train wreck... Occurred on July 9th, 1918, which is, if you're listening to this episode, the day it comes out, the anniversary. The 101st? Yes. This this happened in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what happened was two passenger trains uh, that were operated by the Nashville, Chattanooga, and St. Louis Railway mm-hmm. uh, collided... At about 7.20 a.m., head-on at a section of single track. That okay, was... I've done this math problem before, I know. <laughs> oh, just wait, just wait. It, there's a section here that gets really funny. Okay. And it was a, a single section of track mm-hmm. uh, that was known as Dutchman's Curve, uh, just west of downtown Nashville. And they were going about 50 to 60 miles per hour, and both uh, derailed, and it resulted in... Over 101 deaths and uh, around 171 people injured. So 101 deaths. This is the 101st anniversary. Yeah. It's it's the year of the Dutchman's Curve. I'm I'm bringing the ghosts out. Okay. With this episode. Sorry for haunting your Zune, everybody. <laughs> Just gonna have to leave that bit of technology behind. The two trains involved were the number four. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was scheduled to depart Nashville for Memphis at 7 a.m. And the number one from Memphis, which was about 30 minutes late for a scheduled arrival of 7.10. Uh, so, 
that's a math problem right there, I feel like, yeah. we're leading up to. Is the actual question how many people died? Because it's 101. I know the answer to that I one. think what force would the people dying have felt by mm-hmm. this collision? Assume a frictionless train. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wouldn't go anywhere because the wheels, when they, they just spin in place. Yeah. Oh, high five. The dog's not here. You're okay. not getting a high five. Um, so what happened to make this collision occur? Well, it sounds like there were two trains on one track. <laughs> I solved but, it. But why? Why were there two trains on one track? Oh, okay. Why were there two trains running? That's a really long, boring play, just so you know. <laughs> two, two trains running? Yes. Not a fan. <laughs> mm-hmm. My well, college did a four-hour production of that thing. The two trains were running over a buried child. I love Barry Child. So on average, it's pretty okay. Barry Child's great. Yeah, these trains probably did end up. You know what we're going to talk about later? There was definitely trains running over children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In Osage County, but unfortunately, <laughs> this was July. It happened a little early. Yeah. 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 One person out there got all those references. <laughs> we do this show for us sometimes. Yeah. The number four uh, train departed Union Station in Nashville, and uh, it had two mail and baggage cars, like mail, like be mail, not like yeah, like mail. postage. Yes, postage, um, and six wooden coaches. Uh, train one coaches, as in train cars, not the people who are in charge of athletic teams. <laughs> yes, in case okay, in case we're all well, really we had confused. to explain what mail. Was. <laughs> I don't know. There could be someone out there that's like, there are. Why do we gender our trains? <laughs> like well, we don't. It's it's because they're so darn phallic. That's why. Yes. Yeah. It's ramming into things. Tunnels. Well, that's gonna get interesting later. <laughs> Train one uh, was headed uh, to Nashville and had one baggage car and six wooden coaches and two Pullman sleeping cars. Um, those were of steel construction. Uh, and they were about 35 minutes behind schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, both uh, trains needed to use this uh, single track section that was about 10 miles long. The inbound train, uh, number one, kept the right of way. And dispatch informed uh, the crew of the number four that they were to stop on the double track section uh, before it became single if they did not visually see the passing of the number one before reaching the area. Mm-hmm. Now, the blame for what happened falls on a lot of serious errors by the number four and the tower operators. Uh, so while train four traveled, uh, the conductor uh, was like delegated responsibilities out to everyone else of the crew. Like, okay, keep an eye out for that train mm-hmm. that was, you know supposed to be looking for. And he was like busy collecting tickets. Now, he thought uh, they had passed the number one, um, which was really actually, um, they were passing a switch engine with a bunch of empty passenger cars. Okay. And apparently the rest of the crew also thought it was the number one. But they were, like, looking at it. Somebody must have been looking at it. Not very well, apparently. I guess not. While the corner there, oh, there's a train, that must be it. Hmm. Yeah. So then the tower operator, uh, J.S. Johnson, this this tower was like right before the track went to single. 
Um, as Train 4 approached, he had a clear signal up. And uh, they went by, and he went to log uh, the train and noticed that the other train was not logged. And he was like, oh, dang, let me send a telegraph to dispatch, mm-hmm. who was like, oh, yeah. Uh, they they were like, he meets number one there. Can you stop him? And so he, he goes and tries to sound the emergency whistle. But there was no one at the back of the train to hear it. So they just kept going. And uh, just after 7.20 a.m., uh, the trains collided. Uh, and they said the sound could be heard for two miles. Here is a nice uh, quote we have from uh, the Nashville Globe, which was the city's uh, African-American newspaper. The scene immediately following the collision is indescribable. Those escaping unhurt or with lesser injuries fled from the spot in a veritable panic. The cornfield on both sides of the track was trampled by many feet and littered with fragments of iron and wood hurled from the demolished cars. The dead lay here and there grotesquely sprawling where they fell. The dying moaned appeals for aid or, speechless, rolled their heads from side to side and writhed in agony. Everywhere there was blood and suffering and chaos. Yeah. Welcome to our family-friendly sort of comedic traits through history. So I mentioned the the dead count and injured count earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, now some say it was higher. Well, for several reasons. Um, mm-hmm. Cataloging the bodies and body parts um, was not done very well. Uh, well, as soon as you turn it into a jigsaw puzzle, yes, you're. You gotta accept some some margin of error. Yes. Also, many of the bodies were so severely burned they could not be identified. Oh. Um. And the 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 train also um had many African American laborers on it. Um. Mm-hmm. There. This was during World War One. Um. And there was a gunpowder plant, um, just outside Nashville. Um, that was booming, mm-hmm. and many uh, of the people on this train were commuting to that plant to go to work. Uh, so about 50,000 people uh, came to the track that day to to help, mm-hmm. to look for friends and family, mm. uh, to just gawk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that is what they say about train wrecks. You, you just can't look away. Yeah. So this train wreck happened... As we talked about, about the many issues that the crew of the number four had mm-hmm. and the tower operator. Um, they also lacked a proper system to determine train positions. Um, and the wooden construction of the cars uh, greatly increased the number of fatalities. Mm-hmm. This accident would lead to more railroads switching to more steel passenger cars. Now, one of the trains did have their passengers in steel cars. Uh, they did have two sleeping coaches, two, two of them. but then they had three right. uh, wood. Did, did they notice that the people who happened to be in the sleeping coaches at the time had a much greater yes. rate of surviving the accident? Yes. Oh, well, there's your control group right there. Yeah. I mean, they did a science yeah. on accident. When this accident happened in 1918, it was all like cornfields. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some really interesting like Google image, you know, Google Earth images where you see like Totally not cornfields now. And you gotta wonder how many people walking down that street know. <laughs> like, 
right there. The rail fans know. The rail fans know. The rail know. fans always know. So that's one of our uh, train wrecks of 1918. And it's supposed to be the great train wreck. But oh. there's a lot of train wrecks of 1918. So I do have to question, was it the great one? How great is it really? Yes. What are we judging the greatness on? <laughs> and when we come back, we'll talk about another one. All right. Why is every train station named Union Station? There's a Union Station Chicago. There's a Union Station that that's the big one in Washington D.C. The the big one in Nashville, Union Station. Mm-hmm. Are there some like Confederate stations that got <laughs> burned to the ground or something? Now we're just rubbing it in their faces. Now I know what my next episode needs to be on <laughs> is why Union Station. It's gonna be a really short episode, probably. <laughs> It's probably something really dumb. Mm-hmm. There's just a person named Union. <laughs> I don't think that's it. George Union. I really don't think that's it. Anyhow, you promised me a second train wreck story. Yes, I did. Well, please give it. Okay. So we're going to talk about the Melbourne Street Wreck. Uh-huh. Yes. Or it's also known as the Brighton Beach Line Accident. <laughs> Um, now, this was a rapid transit railroad accident mm-hmm. uh, that happened on November 1st, 1918, uh, and is known as the worst mistake in the history of American urban transportation. Oh, I, I thought the worst mistake was the removal of streetcars to cave into the automobile lobby. Different type of mistake, but okay. yes. Okay. Yes. I'm still salty about Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Uh, So during the 1910s, uh, the Brooklyn Rapid Transit Company was in contract with the city of New York Mm -hmm. to construct uh, new subway lines and upgrade older lines. Uh, And this was in partnership with the Interborough Rapid Transit Company. And they haven't been upgraded since. Uh, So on September 25th, uh, 1918, a newly constructed tunnel under Melbourne Street opened to accommodate uh, the growth of the subway system, and it allowed trains to pass over a new connection for the subway. Mm -hmm. Now, the Brighton Beach line started uh, at Park Row in Manhattan and crossed the Brooklyn Bridge uh, and headed towards Brighton Beach. On November 1st, during rush hour at uh, 6.45 p.m., uh, the packed train uh, flew through the tunnel, and the uh, curve that should have been taken at 6 miles per hour was taken at about 30. That's really just a suggestion. You know, (laughs) it's not a hard and fast rule. Well, the cars uh, started to derail, uh, crashing into the side of the tunnel and tearing away the sides and roofs. Of the cars. Passengers were imprisoned in a darkened jungle of steel dust and wood splinters, glass shards, and iron beams projecting like bayonets. What a lovely picture. Yeah, yeah, I'm you don't get journalism like that these days. Right? Uh at least ninety-three people died, uh, and hundreds were injured. Um and again, it was hard to identify some uh due to bodies being incredibly disfigured or the force of the crash having 
ripped away identifying clothing and jewelry and objects. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sometimes that, that nice aluminum or steel post is great to have on the train because you can hold it as you stand and you don't fall over. Yeah. And sometimes it stabs you through the skull. Yeah. It's, it's a land of contrasts. Yeah. Uh, so let's look at what happened, what led to this, aside from the train going too fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the BRTC, mm-hmm. uh, and a union known as the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers, were in negotiations, uh, after issues with 29 members being discharged from employment. Negotiations, uh, were happening and they were failing. Uh, so that morning, uh, the motormen and motor switchmen went on strike. Mm-hmm. Because of the strike and them trying to keep the subways going. To, to keep the trains going on time. Yes. They um, were bringing people in from other unions and throwing people into positions that maybe they shouldn't have been in. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Antonia Edward Luciano, who was a 25-year-old dis- dispatcher. Um, who was pressed into driving the train that morning. He had never operated an elevated train in passenger service before, and his only experience moving trains was to park them in the train yard. Now, did he do that at 30 miles an hour? Because I've got to think the answer is no. (laughs) Well, it's hard to know. Um, He had uh, less than three hours of classroom instruction about trains, Mm -hmm. uh, and the norm for drivers was no fewer than 90 between instruction and hands-on. Uh, He was also recovering from the Spanish flu and mourning uh, the death of his daughter from the Spanish flu with her funeral only having been three days prior. Now, let this be a lesson to everybody. Don't be a scab. Do not cross picket lines. You're already in a union. Have some solidarity with your brothers. Yeah. Your your boss needs you more than you need them. Because if you do cave, if you do cross that picket line... You will be hung out to dry and blamed for the deaths of 90-some people. Yeah. Also, if you want to learn more on the Spanish flu, we have an episode on that. (laughs) Just so you know. Maybe your boss shouldn't be putting you in in a position you don't belong in while you're sick when you should be having paid time off to grieve your daughter. Yes. 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 Um, So on his his route, uh, he had missed uh, the switch to get on that line. Mm-hmm. And this was attributed to lack of training on proper signals to inform the switch tower operator of which route he needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, now he did quickly realize his mistake and was able to reverse out and get on the right line um, without incident. I mean, reversing out, that's thats his whole deal, parking trains. I think yeah. that's a big part of it. Uh, but then the the train flew down the line. It was going very fast. It was uh, over. It was missing some station stops and overshooting them. This um, train is running express. We are going to the dang beach. And uh, well, then then we know what followed. Mm-hmm. Uh, now he made it out of the accident pretty much fine, uh, and he disappeared. And was, well, yes, <laughs> was found at home. At 1 a.m. that night, uh, and taken in for questioning, and he said that he didn't remember basically anything from it happening. 
to how he got home. He didn't flee the scene. He was flung through the front window. Yeah. And went 300 yards all the way to his building. Um, when, when they found him, he was seated in a chair, chair, and they said he was very pale and on the verge of collapse. And he, he stated that he, he tried to slow down the train, but the equipment was failing. Though an investigation later on didn't really show that he tried to engage any of the emergency brakes. Well, maybe he thought he was, and he was pulling the wrong thing. Yeah. Because he wouldn't know. Does he know how to do the emergency brakes? Probably not. He doesn't drive trains. Like, that even happens with people in cars. Like, yeah. people... There, there's this weird epidemic of people who think that their uh, uh, brakes are cut. And it's because in the momentary panic, they're pressing the wrong pedal. Yeah. It could happen. Yeah, you panic and you, you do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, there were some other things, though, that led to this being such a bad accident. Uh, mm-hmm. The train itself. Um, so, the commuter train had uh, five cars that were mostly made out of wood. Oh, that's how they get you. Uh, they had three motor cars and two trailer cars. Now, the motor cars were uh, two times as heavy as the others, um, but the trailers were more top-heavy. Okay. Now, standard procedure was to avoid coupling two trailer cars together, um, and you should put, like, a motor car between them, Mm -hmm. uh, as it gave more stability to the lighter trailers. In the case of this train, uh, two trailer cars were coupled together, uh, and they were the ones that did get the bulk of the damage to the cars and the people. Due to the strike, it's believed that probably a under-trained substitute was used to couple the cars together and probably just didn't know. This is what happens when management does not value their labor. Yeah. People die. Yes. Uh, And in this case, when the train derailed, the two lightweight trailers slammed into the walls, Mm. ripping apart, and the fourth and fifth motor cars just ran right into them and all the people that were now thrown across the tracks. Like a concertina. Yes. Many people died instantly, um, being flung about and seriously injured and run over. Um, but then there were some who had no marks on them, which meant they probably died by suffocation. Now, those who were able to make it out, uh, which were probably from like the back motor cars, found that they couldn't do anything to help. They couldn't reach anyone because the cars had barricaded mm-hmm. them outside of like. You know, they couldn't reach anyone else. Rescue efforts were delayed uh, due to the position of the accident. Uh, police and firemen were not notified for a good 15 to 20 minutes. And then it was like 45 minutes until anyone was able to attempt to reach them. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, a tunnel, so it was narrow and difficult. And um, they had to tear away debris and try to unbury people. <laughs> Um, also, the closest hospital was at capacity uh, with Spanish flu patients, so they had to set up a makeshift infirmary uh, at Ebbets Field, which is was the home of the Brooklyn Dodgers um, from 1912 to 1957. So, if anybody is living today at the uh, the Jackie Robinson Apartments, mm-hmm. are they haunted? Oh yeah. Or did the ghosts follow when the team went to L.A. and and the Dodgers are haunted, but the land is not? 
Great question. Okay. <laughs> question, I guess, is how many people, like, died there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Since it was an infirmary, were they able to, like, save most of those people? Is it just that tunnel's really haunted? Good question. Uh, so the city uh, tried uh, six people for manslaughter, um, five from the railroad companies, um, and then uh, Luciano. Mm-hmm. Uh, none were found guilty. The defense apparently focused a lot on the train having mechanical errors, um, but BRTS's own investigation said otherwise. Luciano testified on his own behalf, um, saying that the train was not working right. Right. What other defense would he possibly have? Right. Um, BRT said the equipment was fine. He just didn't do anything. It was just a lot of we say this, you say this. Mm-hmm. No one was found guilty. But the Brooklyn Manhattan Transit Company, which was the successor of the company after BRT went into receivership, um, did pay out $1.6 million in claims in 1923. Mm-hmm. Luciano changed his name to Anthony Lewis and became a house builder in Queens um, and, and lived until he died in 1985, trying to... Well, that's nice. Not be known. That's nice. If anybody who listens to our show is a writer or editor on any Spider-Man titles, yeah, I need you to make it so that Ben and May Parker's home was built by a man named Anthony Lewis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Please. Okay. Please. I don't know anything else about Queens. Yeah. So then the street uh, was renamed uh, Empire Boulevard um, after the accident. Uh-huh. They didn't want that name to stick around. Melbourne Street, isn't that the... No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's Empire Boulevard. I don't know where you saw that sign. There is um, a detached one-block section that is still called Melbourne Street. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently there are no plaques or signage or anything that talks about the accident anywhere. The tunnel, uh, continued to be used for daily passenger use for 40 years, but was no longer a part of, like, the main line after 1920. Um, and the tunnel is now part of the Franklin Avenue shuttle, like, service line, but I guess it's not used for, like, normal passenger service. It's just only if they need it. Mm-hmm. Now, this accident did tighten up um, existing procedures and uh, sped up the modernization and uh, precautions of the transit network. There was a new signal system that was already in the works, which was basically what we have now with, like, the red light and the if the train passes it, mm-hmm. um, it triggers a dead stop of the trains. Right. It sped up the installation of this system. I would certainly hope so. Uh, It also put pressure on BRT to remove wooden equipment from routes that went through tunnels or subways. Wooden cars would be used in tunnels for another nine years, but they were slowly being phased out. Mm -hmm. Um, And cars of partial wooden construction, though, would remain on the elevated service through 1969. Um, But they wouldn't go through tunnels. Uh, Now, in 1974, another accident happened on the same site. It's a dangerous part of the line. Yeah. But this time it was um, split switch instead of over speeding. Uh, a slow speed train uh, derailed and hit a wall. Um, but there were no injuries. Probably because of that slow speed. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So 
That's your other train wreck there. Mm-hmm. You'll get part two eventually. <laughs> Third train wreck's a good one. In one or more months. I should have started it with it. Yeah. It should have been my first train wreck. Oh, darling, there's no way this is our first train wreck. Oh, such a train wreck. <laughs> See, you gotta wait until the end to do the callback. It's just, it's just cheap immediately. I just want to make train wreck jokes. Yeah? Yeah. You do all the time. You do all the time. <laughs> Oki agreed with me. She high-fived me. She is trained to do that for treats. I had no treats. She did it because she agreed. Anyhow, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with your letters. everybody hello now if you couldn't tell our plan for this one was to have a pretty quick episode that, that we could do well in advance because we are taking a bit of a road trip with some friends of ours including we, we did just mention a second ago our goddaughter is in town yes uh so that's why this one's gonna run a little short but you all didn't get the memo no because <laughs> we have so many letters to read so many letters <laughs> let's get right to it uh, so Hannah writes in and shares uh, some wonderful pet pictures. They're so sweet. Of, of uh, Marvel the dog and uh, Tiger, Cocoa Puff, and Josie the cats. All very cute. So I cute. I love them. Hannah has spent her summer re-listening uh, to our podcast and is answering several prompts. Uh, the first being favorite robot. No, Hannah, it is not silly to say that Wally is your favorite robot because I love Wally. Wally's my <laughs> favorite robot. She points out uh, how uh, it is becoming uh, more relevant uh, every year that passes the story of Wally. Mm -hmm. And I agree. Uh, her favorite snack food uh, would be raw cookie dough. Or chocolate frosting straight out of the can. Um, also, Ruffles all-dressed chips, um, which are apparently Canada's favorite flavor. Well, yeah, Canada hates nudity. Yeah. Famously. Favorite mistake? Her and her sister. Just kidding. That, that's pretty funny. I enjoy <laughs> that. Uh, favorite mistake is that in uh, 2016, uh, the wardens of a prison in Sweden forgot to lock the doors of the cells before they left for the night. Um, because in that lower level of the prison, they could just leave. Uh, when the prisoners figured this out, they snuck into the kitchen and made themselves a chocolate cake and watched TV all night and then went back to their cells before they all came back in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, in an interview with the guards, uh, praised them uh, for doing what they did. Uh, and it was very <laughs> sad to not know if the cake was any good because they didn't leave him any. And the news articles of the time like to say it was still unknown whether they used a recipe or not. <laughs> well, the recipes were under lock and key. They always made sure to, to lock those. Yeah. Uh, favorite playwright. Uh, Hannah points out that she loves Shakespeare. Um, also really likes uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Points out that Hamilton and In the Heights were both majorly important to her in high school. And man, I feel old. 
Darling. What? You are old. I am old. Because, like, that's like me saying it was majorly important to me in my late 20s. <laughs> Is rent not important to the kids anymore? That's no. What was, no. No, it's, it's really not. It's not. That was what was important to the kids in my day. Rent <laughs> and tick, tick, boom. Nobody knew about tick, tick, boom. No, that was that's it was my high school friends. You were homeschooled. <laughs> it was my theater high school friends. Okay. Uh favorite deadly disease influenza. Uh Hannah talks shared that her mom wasn't uh quite an anti-vaxer but really wasn't into vaccines. Mm-hmm. So Hannah did a lot of research about the flu. And was able to convince her mom to let her get a flu vaccine. Good for you, Hannah. Good job. So thank you for writing in. Thank you very much. Sage writes in for the very first time. Great to hear from you, Sage. And she says some very kind things about our various projects. Thank you very much. And also writes in with some prompt responses. Her favorite snack is banana bread cookies. Ooh. Especially her own because she can make them vegan. So everybody can have some depending on other dietary restrictions, I suppose. But I want a banana bread cookie. Yeah. I've never had that. Shared the recipe. Her favorite mistake is one from her own personal life. Uh, One day, while one of her roommates was moving out to Ontario, they messaged the other uh, saying, Hey, can I sleep on your floor tonight? Thinking they were previous friends. But they weren't. So the one crashed on the other's floor the very first time they met, and then they became fast friends and, and... did become roommates together from that uh, awkward accidental uh, uh, meeting. Oh. Yeah. 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 It took me like a minute to like map that in my brain, but I figured it out. Okay. I got it now. Good job. I got it. Her favorite robot is Big Dog from Boston Dynamics, because all those videos where it's mercilessly bullied by engineers. Oh. Uh, she also gives a uh, uh, really detailed request for a uh, uh, upcoming topic and why it would be very important for for people in general to hear. Uh, and we are definitely going to take that under advisement. Thank you very much. And we are really looking forward to those pictures of Bo you promised, because I love a good dog picture. Yeah. And all dog pictures are good ones. Thank you, Sage. George writes in and says that they would love to go with Thomas the Tank Engine Mm -hmm. as their favorite train, but they're going to go with the L here in Chicago Mm -hmm. Um, because it's rickety, old, dirty, and pretty dangerous, but it's got character. I don't think any of those four are true. Okay, maybe dirty. It's dirty. It's really dirty. And depending on what train you get, sometimes it's old. (laughs) I don't think the train so much is dangerous as maybe some of the people on it. Yeah, I guess. Thanks. It's really the Cubs fans that are dangerous. That's what They're it so is. drunk. They're so drunk. Thank you, George. If you said it was smelly, I'd be like, yeah. Oh, it's, it's often so smelly. smelly. Yeah. It's always smelly. Lord Smaff writes in once again, and their favorite train, at least from an aesthetic point of view, is the Mercury train. There were several Mercury trains, the Chicago Mercury, the the Cincinnati Mercury, mm-hmm. but they were these Art Deco, like, 
polished stainless steel art pieces, essentially. Anyone who's been to MSI in Chicago would be familiar with the Chicago Zephyr, Mm -hmm. which is of a similar school of design. Yes. Uh, One of my favorite things I saw earlier this year was a talk from Doug Chiang at a Star Wars Celebration Mm. uh, about his job, uh, you know, being the lead visual designer for episodes one and two. Yeah. And uh, one of the slides he put up was a picture of the sleek Naboo starfighter and and uh, Amidala's ship next to the, the grungy, kit-bashed transports from the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Next to a slide with, like, the Zephyr and the Mercury train next to pictures of today's uh, locomotives that, that you see at train crossings all across the country. Yeah. And noting the same, like, 30 to 50 year gap. Yeah. I love that example. <laughs> well, I, I just wanted to talk about how that thing people always complain about the prequels about, oh, they have such higher technology. Well, no, they just have a different aesthetic. Yeah. Because it shows a different uh they want cultural, things to look pretty. A different cultural moment in that society, which is something no other Star Wars media does. Yeah. Everyone is just doing different iterations on the same aesthetic. Prequels are, are better than everything else in at least one way. <laughs> Thanks, Lord Smaff, for letting me go on a rant. <laughs> uh, Isaac writes in uh, and thanks us for pronouncing their name right. That made me really nervous because I forgot how he said it last time. Me too! I, I was like, is that what it is? I hope it's just Isaac! <laughs> Is that, that's what we went with, right? Uh, I think. I think so. We might have just messed this all up. <laughs> uh, but their favorite train, uh, they are torn between Snowpiercer. Yes. Uh, I'm all about that. Love Snowpiercer. Mm-hmm. Wonderful movie. Made me so uncomfortable. <laughs> Loved it. The every frame of painting video on Snowpiercer is so good. Yeah. Yes. Other uh, train would be any train that has ever been in the scene of a heist movie. Ooh. Because it's fun. <laughs> Snowpiercer's kind of a heist. They're trying to heist back their children. Yes. Yes, they are. Uh, Snowpiercer and Mad Max Fury Road. Those are <laughs> movies that put me into the fetal position in my movie chair. <laughs> Isaac also uh, gives a minor correction. Uh-huh, Because uh-huh. uh, you called them out that, you know, they found us through uh, a friend. No, no, no. Uh, it was Twitter. Oh, okay. After some Metal Gear, whatever RR stands for. Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Oh, okay. I knew there was Rising. Yes. I didn't know Revengeance was in there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, it's that a, one. It's a real word, I promise. A real word? I know it's a word. <laughs> really? Because a lot of people didn't. They thought they just made it up for the game. Revengeance? Yes. They didn't know that was a word? They thought it was a brand new portmanteau of revenge and vengeance. Oh, goodness. Yeah. It's certainly not a common word. I'll give them that. It's in the dictionary. <laughs> Thanks, Isaac. <laughs> Claritic's favorite train is more of a category of train. The ghost Ooh. train. Whoa! Now this is your your pretty common folklore, at least 
common starting in the 1800s and beyond once non-ghost trains existed. But people would uh, see or hear trains that weren't really there. You hear the sound of chugging or the signal bells, but then you don't notice the actual train come by. Ghost train. Subway. (laughs) Eat fresh. Uh, I love you. But Claritic's favorite ghost trains go a little farther because they are the ones as depicted in the Final Fantasy series of games where they aren't just phantom trains. No, they are trains carrying phantoms. Just a No, no, no. They are trains in Phantom of the Opera. Lot 666, then. But anyway, Final Fantasy is a train. It's full of ghosts. Basically... A huge number of people die from, say, a poisoned water supply, and all those souls need to be ferried to the afterlife in a hurry. Bam! Train's what you need. Ghost train. <laughs> Which is, is a pretty, pretty cool concept for, like, I mean, what happens when the ferryman's ferry is full? You charter a dang train. And then in Final Fantasy VI, one of your party members can give the train a suplex. Just cuss. I mean, honestly, I'd watch a TV show about that. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, Claritic. Uh, so Joe writes in and shares that their favorite train is the General, which was a Confederate train used during the Civil War. Uh, but it was not used so much by the Confederacy, but instead by the Union, uh, as it was uh, train-jacked uh, by the U- Union and went on a rampage up the Western and Atlantic Railroad, uh, destroying bridges, uh, telegraph wires, tracks, all the while being pursued by the original conductor and crew, first by foot, then hand cart, and eventually by other Confederate trains. Uh, Eventually, a bunch of them were caught and killed, and Joe points out that Disney made a movie about this, and they are correct. It was the Great Locomotive Chase, uh, made in 1956. I might have talked about it on our one Disney live-action movie, or I might have left that one out. But it was during that time frame of that episode. And it starred Davy Crockett. Yes, the guy guy who played Davy Crockett. Yeah. He was in everything at the time. But that's not the only adaptation. I think this is also the inspiration for Buster Keaton's The General. Yeah. Which is one of his absolute masterpieces. The whole first half of the movie is, uh, you know, watching the train go one way and uh, a bunch of stuff happens along the track and then the train turns around. And the second half is re-encountering all of those same obstacles in the opposite direction, which has their own uh, wrinkles and slapstick opportunities. It's just an incredible case study in in setup punchline. Yeah. Literally being on rails in, in order to, to work that structure. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Final Gamer writes in once again, and their favorite train is Evor the Engine from a British stop-motion series of the same name. It's Welsh. <laughs> Ivor was a charming steam locomotive with a mind of its own. He loves to visit the seaside. He hates timetables, which I don't know if that's an insult to the Welsh rail industry or what. Uh, but he loves to, to chat with the locals using his charming little whistle. Apparently, Ivor 
as a friend who is a dragon that was hatched inside of his boiler and he wants to join the local choral society as their first bass singer. I want to watch this show. What kind of choral society doesn't have a bass singer? Not a good one. I guess not. Eivor leads a very charming life, and I think I would prefer him to the the weird Protestant work ethic, guilt-ridden Thomas. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to watch Thomas the Tank Engine with with a critical eye, (laughs) teaching the kids some really weird values. You know what's a lot better than Thomas the Tank Engine? Theodore the Tugboat. Well, he's a friendly tugboat, too. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Final Gamer. Nick writes in, and they want to teach us more about California's Civil War history. There is a now little-known town in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area called called Benicia. Benicia? Benicia? Bunicula. The vampire rabbit. Back in the day, it was quite a famous town. It was California's first capital, technically speaking. And during the Civil War, it held an arsenal which held Union troops and was a staging area. Uh, Shortly before the the Civil War got underway, the army was using that arsenal to house the Camel Corps. Yes, that is a division that used camels. Mm. Because, once again, we haven't said it on the show in a long time, everyone in the 1800s was nuts. And in case you were curious... Camels are way too big. (laughs) We also learned this from our goddaughter (laughs) earlier this evening. Her life was changed by the size of camels. She kept telling us that camels scared her because they are too big. Whereas her father showed us pictures of her loving the camels. (laughs) But no, she scared scared camels. (laughs) Two-year-olds, man. But uh, Nick's favorite robot is R2-D2, the only robot to get more than one vote. So therefore, the greatest robot of all time. I voted for Wally. Okay, tied for first. There we go. There we go. And we also get another show suggestion from them as well. Uh, So thank you to everybody who wrote in. We really, really do appreciate it. If you would like to write into the show, where can those go, dear? Historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. We want your stories, your questions, your comments, your corrections. And in addition to all of those, we would love to hear the responses to our usual prompt. What's the prompt, darling? For this next episode, I would like to hear everyone's favorite fringe group. Fringe group? Yes. I'm going to go with fringe. Just out there doing their own thing. Fringe it team. It may or may not include Olivia Dunham. And a cow. <laughs> Everyone loves the cow. I love the cow. That last episode with the cow made me cry a lot. <laughs> Lots of ugly tears. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But where can those go, dear? Historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. While you're out there, we would love to hear from you on social media, things like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. At History Honeys. And when I say things like them, just just them for for now. That's really all there is social media-wise. Yeah, we don't got Snapchat. we'd love to see you there. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher. Wherever you listen to us. Mm-hmm. It helps us so much. It helps us find people. 
It's not the only way we get found, apparently, but it's a big one. Yeah. I stand by that. Well, I feel like there's another way they can help us. How else can they help us? Oh, you mean word of mouth? Yeah! By people telling people? Because in the end, isn't that all life is? Just people together? I guess. I trust people more than I trust anything else in this world. I trust my dog more than people. (laughs) Well, when's the last time your dog gave you a podcast recommendation? She doesn't. I'm okay with that. I don't have time to listen to podcasts. I'm just saying word of dog doesn't really help our show grow and develop and and help people uh, find common ground with their friends and, and, you know, something to talk about, something to enjoy together. And that's... I can enjoy a podcast with my dog. We could listen together. Yeah. It'd be nice. Is she a big fan of Paired by Liz Anderson? Don't know. We don't listen to podcasts. All right. I think we got to wrap up before you fall asleep. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with with your honey.